Go to Philippians. Philippians. Brothers need to bring some Bibles to church. Not you, not you, bro. Oh, you don't have your Bible either, do you? Get your Bible out, man. Come on. Yes. I knew you had yours, bro. I was saying everybody else, man. Philippians 1. Make some noise in the house tonight. Come on. All right, Philippians 1, verse 3. I, say I, thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making mention, uh, or sorry, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship and the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just it is right for me to thank this of you all because I have you in my heart. Somebody underline that. I have you in my heart. You have a different translation, but it says something like that. Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you, all with the affection of Jesus Christ. The Lord spoke to me uh, recently, challenging me, I should say. It's good, you know, when the Lord challenges you. Don't be a fool and reject or neglect or turn from the challenge of God. If you feel challenged or convicted tonight, just turn your heart to Him because He's doing that because He loves you. But uh, I I was challenged recently. The Lord challenged me from this passage. He said, Gabriel, I want you to be more thankful for people and less thankful for things. Or uh, I want you to be more thankful for people than for things. Do you know what I'm saying? I want you to be more thankful for people than for things. And I think it's important to be thankful for things, you know, for food and for clothing and for a house and for all those types of things that we have. But God desires that we would be like John, or sorry, Paul, who says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. You don't ever read Paul's writings, and whenever we read Paul's writings, you don't ever read Paul thanking God necessarily for things. It's mostly that God has saved him and that God has put brothers and sisters in his life. And tonight I want to just share with you uh, some friends in my life who, um, who I would say they're in my heart and, uh, and I would say they're in some of our le- most of our leaders' hearts that know them well. Uh, they're people that are, are leaving us on a good, good cause and for good reason. And I was, I was thinking about Justin Black and Anna Shaw um, just thinking about them, my wife and I have been thinking and praying about them and really thankful for uh, all of the ministry that they've done and really the friends that they are. And um, as I was praying and, and thinking about you, um, this passage has come to my heart again and again this past week, but it's really come to my heart today. And I want you to know that I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for you. I really am. Anna, I'm really thankful that I met you, and, and I think it was about seven years ago that we first met. And I'm thankful that a few years ago we built a, a, an awesome relationship. And you didn't really like me at first for different reasons at first. Nobody really likes Gabriel at first. Yeah, they, people just don't. I, have, I just think that that's kind of common. Uh, help me, Lord. No, uh, no but, but then I got to know Anna, and she got to know me. And um, I'm so thankful for you, Anna, 
and, and Justin, it's been an honor to know you and to spend time with you the past couple of years, and I'm so thankful for you as well. And I, I know I speak for our leadership team, for Reed and Mariah and, and Seth and Elena and for Andrew and the rest of our leaders and the ministry leaders here. We're just so thankful for both of you. And if you don't know, obviously Anna, last name is Shaw, and Justin's last name is Black, but soon they were both last of their, both of their last names will be Black. Uh, and so they are, they are getting... They are getting married, but I, um, I just want to take a moment to say I'm so thankful for you. And three words that's come to my mind that God has just a moment ago as I was praying for you and thinking about you. I've been thinking about you for a while. I felt like God gave me three words uh, for both of you as, an individuals, as individuals and also as a couple. Uh, three words that come to my mind regarding your character. Uh, the first word is purity. And I want to honor both of you for being a man of purity, Justin. And I'm thanking God for you that when you are just around us as other men, how many of you hung out with Justin Black? We're challenged by your purity. And I want to thank God for you, and I want to honor you for being a man of purity. And Anna, you also are a woman of purity. And I want to thank you and honor you for being a woman of purity amongst this body and among unbelievers at work and around believers that, that you're with. And so I just want to honor you and thank you for being a woman of purity. The second word that comes to my mind is, um, I think it's integrity, is not only are you both uh, people of purity, but you're both people of integrity in the sense that you have very strong character and you value holiness as an utmost and important quality to have in life, to be people who have integrity and to make sure that when you're going, whenever you're going in any way against uh, what God's heart is, you make sure you have a clear conscience before God and before people before you move forward in life. And, and one of the things I've known about Justin is uh, this guy is very particular about having very good integrity and having a very clean conscience in his walk with God and in his ministry to us. And so, Justin, I want to honor you for being a man of integrity. And also, Anna, I've known you as well. Uh, for being a, a woman of integrity, and a, a word that goes better than integrity, I, I just want to, I want to, the, the word that came to mind was either integrity and humility. And, and Justin and Anna, you are both people of humility. And I want to honor you and thank you for being people of humility. When I say humility, you have to understand there's so many faces and facets and characteristics of the attribute of humility. Though humility is an attribute, it also has many attributes within this idea of being humble. And Justin and Anna are both people who receive challenge and correction, who receive discipline from the Lord and from others. They're both people who have a broken and a contrite heart before God and before people. If you spend any time with them, you would say they are both people of humility and both people of integrity. And so I want to honor you and thank you for being people of of humility, integrity. And the last word that comes to my mind is being courageous. Pure, humble, and courageous are the three words. And I just want to thank God for both of you also for being courageous. And Justin, if you know Justin's life and his story, you'd have to sit down and ask him. But Justin, you have pushed through. And you have been courageous despite the trials and the hardships that you've been through. And I want to thank you for being a man of courage, and a man of boldness, and a man of passion. A man that has a strong will and that pushes through through trials and tribulations because of the love of God that motivates you. And I want to thank you for that. And Anna, and if you know Anna as well, she's been through so much in her life. And I want to thank you for being courageous, girl, and pushing through and pursuing that high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you so much for being courageous to, to not care about what others say, but just to push through in what God has for you. 
You truly are both an awesome couple. I'm excited to see what God does through you as individuals and what God does through you as a team. And I want you to know from Ashley and I, as Paul says, that he's thankful uh, for you. And every time he prays, he remembers you, that he says, I have you in my heart. And I want you to know, Dick Benjamin, the pastor and founder of this church, he preached this message a couple years ago. And he talked about how the most important thing is to put people in your heart in ministry. And I want you to know that you're both in my heart. You're both in my heart. And I'll never forget you. I'll always bless you and love you and thank God for you. And I long for the times that we spend together now and the times we get to come together again. So I know there's so much more, but thank you for being pure, for being humble, and for being courageous. We love both of you. Thank you. Can we get it for Justin and Anna? We are going to have a time of celebration, and, and we invited some of us to come to that time to really honor them. Uh, Seth and Elena set that up to bless them and honor them, and so we're going to do that soon. We'll, that's where we'll pray over both of you and, and share our hearts more with you both. But thank you so much for all of your service. God will not forget your labor of love, and neither will we. And you're always part of this family. You're in our heart. You're in our heart. Thank you. I think it's important to honor one another. I think if we just did this all night, it would be the best church service we'd had all, all year long. You know, I think uh, we need to do better that when Christians come together to talk more about others' strengths and the quality of people they are and talk more about our weaknesses. Uh, but we tend to, when we get with each other, we talk more about how amazing we are and talk about about other people. And it's really sad. And so I want to make a commitment that when we gather together as Christians, and I challenge you, that when you come together, that you would encourage each other and bless each other and prophesy over each other and build each other up. Can I hear an amen? That was just an introduction. Would you uh, grab your Bible and flip over to John, the Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel, the fourth Gospel, chapter 2. Spilt my water. I get you? Good. Just trying to wash some feet, you know. Just trying to wash some feet. Is anybody alive in the church tonight? Anybody alive in church tonight? My God, help me, somebody. You know, I just pray, my prayer recently has been that God would awaken his church. So I pray that tonight you would awaken and stop being slumber and slothful. I love you, so I'm going to tell you that. God's heart for the church right now is that his church, that his people, if you're called of God, if you call Jesus Lord and Savior, that you would wake up. Wake up. Like, like wake up to what he's done for you, wake up to who he is, wake up to how much he loves you, wake up to what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do, and you'll live a victorious life. Wake up. The problem is, is that we stay sleeping in our own thoughts and our own wisdom and our own insecurities. And so we live a miserable, pitiful life. But if we would just change, Gabriel? No, 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 no. I'm not asking you to change yourself. I'm just asking you to wake up to how much God loves you and that you wake up to what God's done to you, that you wake up what God's done in you, and that you'd wake up to what God's going to do in and through you in the coming years. Wake up to see who he is and what he's done. Amen? Wake up. So let's be awake tonight. Let's be alive tonight. Let's be a live church, not a dead church. So whatever that means to you, 
somebody can be a good example of that. John chapter 2, verse 1. John chapter 2, verse 1. This is an awesome story. I'm going to do the best I can in the time that I have to teach us tonight what the context was of, uh, in the history of what's happening and what was happening in those days and those times of, of what a wedding looked like. Because we're about to talk about a wedding. So I'm going to do the best I can to tell us what, what, what was a, uh, a wedding like in those days. Because the wedding in those days were way different than our days. So I'm going to go verse by verse and I'm going to unfold some of it. But as we go on tonight, I'm going to unfold more and more. Sound good? Okay, so on the third day, on the third day, uh, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Most weddings were held on Wednesdays, and so that's why this was the third day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Most, most weddings in those times were held on the third day, so this wedding was particularly held on a Wednesday. Uh, Cana of Galilee. Now, you have to also understand that, that some weddings in this time frame would last uh, up to a week long. They would have celebrations of weddings up to a week long. Wouldn't that be fun? I think our weddings go too short. You know, people just want to stay on the dance floor all night long. Any, any of those kind of people tonight? And if you're like, I don't dance, that's evil. Then I'm saying that you're just stupid. And that's not true. Uh, dancing is not evil. David danced for 30 miles and praised the Lord. Dancing is not evil. Did he just say I'm stupid? <laughs> Sometimes his weddings will last up to a week, but it's the third day, and there's a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. What's Jesus' mother's name? Mary. When the Bible tells us the mother of Jesus was there, it's probably because uh, some theologians believe that it was actually uh, Jesus' mother's sister's son. Okay, so (laughs) Jesus' mother, which would be his mom. So Mary's uh, sister would be Jesus' aunt, okay, and her son was the groom. It's what most people believe, but we don't really know for sure. All we do know is that she was there, and if she was there, it happened to be most likely that she was part of the family, that there was some family relationship, and so she was there on account of the family. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Again, there had to have been some sort of relationship there because most weddings were uh, people were, it was big, huge family ceremonies and celebrations like we have today at our weddings. So it wasn't a, 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 just a coincidence that Jesus and his mother were invited. When they ran out of wine, say, uh-oh. <laughs> when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no, they have no wine. Um. Also in their culture, wine was a very important drink. Some people say they drank wine because their water was bad. It's actually not true. Actually, their water was just fine. They drank wine because they liked to celebrate with wine. Gabriel, that was grape juice. No, this was fermented grapes. Actually, if you study it out, Jews didn't even know what grape juice was other than fermented grape juice, which was wine. So, there's a party, there's a celebration, and whenever they had weddings, wine was one of the most important ingredients, if you will, of the night to really bless the bride and groom and to bless all the people that came to bless them. They believed in those days that wine was like a gift from God, and that when they got wine, when they got these grapes, that it was a gift from God, and so when they drank the wine, they saw it as blessing and provision from God. It was symbolism to them of God's blessing, God's favor, and God's provision. 
So wine was a very important drink, especially to hold at weddings. And so they ran out of wine. It's kind of like running out of wine at a wedding. It's kind of like me running out of ranch at Moose's Tooth. It just, it's just not good. Like I literally, I literally will not take another bite until I get more ranch. And to them, in these days, in these days, when this happened, they would, they would literally like stop, scratch their heads, be like, there's no wine. And to the Jews in those days, to the groom, if he didn't have any more wine, it was an embarrassment to him saying that he was, wasn't wealthy enough or that he didn't provide enough for the people that he had invited. It'd be like inviting a bunch of people over to your house for biscuits and gravy. And 30 people show up, 20 people eat, the 21st person steps up, and there's no gravy. It would be like that. Well, that'd be bad. And so when they run out of grape juice, fermented grape juice, <laughs> they're going, oh, dang. And the groom, who was just celebrating and excited about this wedding, is now going, oh, dang. So Mother Mary walks over to Jesus. And she says, Jesus, they don't have any more wine. Jesus said to her, woman, let me say this real quick. <laughs> it's sad that... that this can be read out of context, that Jesus was being uh, rude to his mom. But this word woman was actually a term of very high respect and honor to his mom. It'd be like today, you calling your mom ma'am. And so Jesus uses this word woman when he's on the cross in John chapter 20, and he gives John the disciple, to Mary and says, Mary, you watch, or sorry, John, you watch over my mother, Mary. Oh, watch over this woman. Watch over this ma'am. Watch over this. It was a respected term. It's also the term that he used in John chapter 4 when he spoke to the woman at the well and called her woman. It was a respectful term. It's also the term that he used in John chapter 8 when he spoke to the woman that was caught in adultery. This was not a disrespectful term. This was actually a very high and respectful way of honoring a woman in those days. Does that make sense? So Jesus was not being disrespectful. He was actually using a very honoring term to speak to his mother. What does your concern have to do with me? Why? My hour has not yet come. He's saying, Mom, look, I'm not supposed to be seen yet, but if you, this, this passage is actually one of the hardest passages in the book of John to interpret, and what they're saying today is, what Jesus was really saying was, ma'am, mother, my mom, beloved, whatever you want to call her. My hour hasn't come yet, but I'll take care of this. I'm not supposed to be seen yet, but just, I got your back. You hear what I'm saying? He was saying, look, I'm not supposed to be seen, but I'll figure out a way to get the job done. I'm not supposed to be seen, but I'll make sure it gets done. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone 
according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. These water pots were about yay high, and like it's saying, about 20 to 30 gallons apiece. Most of them held about 30 gallons apiece. If you were wanted to buy something less expensive, you'd buy one that was 20 gallons apiece. Most homes had about one of these at their house, so for there to be six of them meant that probably five other families were invited to this wedding. And so there's six water pots there, and in their day, when they would walk into somebody's house, they would do two things. They would wash their hands, and they would wash their feet. They would wash their hands and their feet as a sign of cleansing to go into fellowship to be with the people of God, because they'd been through so many things. And before they ate, they would wash their hands again and wash their feet again. And then halfway through the meal, they would go back to those water pots and wash their hands again and wash their feet again. It was just a way of purification. So those pots are just sitting there. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. I don't know if that means that they poured them out and they refilled them, or if they just took the nasty, dirty water and... and <laughs> If they took the nasty, dirty water and just used it and filled that up to the brim. But Jesus said to them, them being the servants that Mother Mary said. So there's these these servants that are available. And this scripture tells us that, this passage is telling us that Mary had some measure of authority to tell these servants to do something. And so he tells them, fill up water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. The master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. He said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, when they're loaded, then the inferior or the less good wine. But you have kept the good wine, the best wine until now. What happened? They ran out of wine. Jesus' mother says, hey, Jesus, we need some help. He goes, okay, I'll figure it out. She says, hey, you servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Jesus says, hey, go fill up some water pots right there. Go fill all those up. So what do they do? They go fill them up. Jesus says, okay, now, now get, some, get some out of there. Get some. Get some out of there. And take it to the master of the feast, who would be like a wedding planner, and give it to him. And I don't know if, I don't know if like, if it got turned to wine like before they dipped it, or while they're dipping it, or as they were carrying it, or as he put it to his mouth. But something extraordinary happened. This water had been turned into wine, hundred and eighty gallons. Would you pray with me? Let's pray and ask God to turn water into wine tonight. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you love us so much. God, we thank you that you relate with us and you associate with us. You call us friends. We call, we call you Lord. You call us friends. I thank you, God, that you come to our celebrations like tonight. And you're here with us tonight. But I thank you even more that you're with us in our common day. 
when we're at weddings, when we're at funerals, when we're at celebrations, when we're driving to the store. Thank you, God, that you relate with us and you associate with us and you pursue us. Jesus, we want to know who you really, really are. So please, we pray, reveal yourself to us through this passage. Show us. God, take what is the natural water among us and do a miracle in our life. Change it into change it into wine. We love you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. I have this weird addiction to uh, lime. Uh, it's just weird. Um, I literally want to put lime on everything. Say everything. And, uh, you know, Thai food, Mexican food, pizza, <laughs> uh, yogurt, <laughs> uh, goat cheese. You know, I, this morning, you know, this, you know what I made this morning? I made a really good omelet. He got, this guy always talks about food. I had a really good omelet. I took uh, three eggs, beat it, <laughs> beat those eggs together. So I had, I had three eggs, and then I took uh, uh, onion, and I, and I fried them uh, in butter and in garlic salt. And so I got these caramelized, beautiful, just bodacious uh, uh, caramelized onions, and I, and I put them in a little bowl. And then I got some uh, turkey sausage, because I'm healthy, and I cut it up into chunks, and I put that in the bowl. Uh, well, first I heated it up, and then I put it into the bowl. And then I took... Um, these eggs, and I poured it in. I cooked up some nice stuff. I mean, like, nice, nice, okay. Three eggs, omelet, and I flipped it, put some uh, 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 cheese on it. Um, just amazing cheese. I don't even know what it's called. Colby Jack or something like that. And uh, really good cheese. And so then, the best part is then I took all that stuff I just cooked up, and I poured it on top. And then I, a little flick of the wrist, Made it land perfectly on my plate, folded it in half, and sprinkled some cheese on there. But before I ate it, before I ate it, I squirted some lime all over that thing. It was good. You know another uh, thing I, I do with wine, or li- wine. <laughs> Drink that wine. No, another thing I do with uh, lime is I put it on uh, Thai food. How many like Thai food? Thai food. Uh, my wife made an awesome Thai dinner last night for some of our friends we had over, some of our leaders. And uh, we had an awesome time together, uh, a, f- a fellowship and shared life together. But probably the best part, if you ask Reed and Seth, they had five bowls of this Thai food. And uh, I think, they're, look at him, I think he's still full. I, I, look at him. <laughs> Reed, you know, it was going to be my lunch. It was going to be my lunch today. And, uh, I, actually, when they left, I was like, I can't believe they ate my lunch. I can't believe they ate my lunch. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but one of the things about Thai food is actually really good, but it's so much better. You put some lime all over it. Same thing with carne asada tacos. Carne asada tacos, uh, when you have this, this cow that has been cut to perfection, and you stick it on a grill with some garlic butter, and you fry that steak... And then you put some lime all among it, and then you put it in a tortilla 
shell and you eat it, it's like heaven in your mouth. That's sick, man. I really like food. And, uh, and I've just realized there's some things that you can put on food that just make it so much better. Like crack. I mean, like, uh, sorry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why that came to my mind just now. No, that's not even funny. Like lime. And another thing also is ranch is actually really, really good to put on pizza. I don't know what it is. But when you take tomato sauce and put it on bread that's been cooked to perfection, and then you, you put some nice ingredients on top, like chicken and barbecue sauce and bacon and cheese, it's good. You know, it's good. But something happens when you dip it in ranch. You hear what I'm saying? You know, you know I, know, I know you all have your own things. I've heard of people putting ketchup on ice cream, and I pray for them. I pray for them. You know, I think that for some people, ketchup is like one of those things you can just put on anything. Anybody, anybody in the house like that? Anybody? Oh, Jody shamefully raises her hand. Cameron Ramirez, come on, baby. Yeah, that's not me, though. I like putting hot sauce, lime, and ranch on about everything. I just mix it all together. It's kind of nasty, actually. I don't do that. But <laughs> this is a really fascinating story. We're in a series tonight. I don't know what that was all about, but we're in a series tonight. And it's called Jesus, the real Jesus, right? How many know we're in a series, the real Jesus? And our heart, our heart is we want to know what this Jesus really looks like. Because how many know there's a lot of false Jesus is? There's a lot of anti-Christ, those who are really not like Christ. But then there's a real Christ, right? Then there's a real Jesus. And my heart tonight and my heart for the next few weeks, it might go until December or January, but my heart is that, that till the day I die, really, that I would preach and teach and talk about and know and love and be known by and loved by the real Jesus. And so we've been looking from the book of John and asking God, show us, show us, Lord, who this real Jesus is. And we pick up here in John chapter 2 of a story. And, and we, have to, we have to remember this book was written for us to see who Jesus was really like, what he was really like, not just what he did. If you want to look at a chronological order of all the things that he did, look at Matthew and Luke. Look at Mark. They go into the things that Jesus did, some more detailed than others, but they give us an awesome uh, uh, story of what Jesus did. But when John writes the book of John, his heart wasn't just to tell us what Jesus did. The heart of John was to tell us what Jesus was really like. And so when we're looking at this passage in John chapter 2, John, by the Holy Spirit, is trying to tell us this is what Jesus is really like. Because how many of you know that when, when we face and we encounter and when we connect with and when we engage in, the real Jesus will never be the same. 
There's so many things to preach and to talk about and to discuss and to teach and to dialogue over, but there's nothing that compares to teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. And when you preach and teach and talk about and dialogue and just mull over the idea and the person, the work of Jesus Christ, you just get blessed. See, our lives, our lives naturally are pretty ordinary. They're pretty ordinary. Like Like Thai food without lime. Life is kind of ordinary without Jesus. And I don't want to in any way ever do a disservice or disjustice to who Jesus is. And he does not in any way, and I should say lime does not in any way compare to Christ and what he does to us. But it's a picture, it's a metaphor that Jesus spices things up. But he doesn't just, listen, he doesn't just add to our life. He transforms our life. He doesn't just add something on top of a life you already have. He turns your life upside down and changes you forever. But I still want us to look at this picture and this metaphor of life without Jesus is just ordinary. It's just ordinary. If there's anything that the Gospel of John, chapter 2, 1 through 11 tells us, it's that life is ordinary. But when an extraordinary God associates with an ordinary people, extraordinary things happen. I really want to know, God, what are you trying to show us about Jesus in this passage? Because I know you want to speak to me, Lord. So I've been asking this question, Lord. Show me you in this passage, and then, and then I want to see where I am in this passage. Because if there's anything about the Bible, the Bible has its way of showing you who God is in the story, but then not just who God is, where you are in the story. See, that's why the Bible isn't just a big book about God in heaven, not relating to people. The Bible is a big book about God and people. It's all about how, who God is and how it relates with people and who we are and how we ought to relate to God. And so whenever you read your Bible, don't just read your Bible. Read your Bible to know who Jesus is and where you fit in his story. You know what I'm saying? Don't just read your Bible. Ask the question, okay, who are you, Christ? Who are you, Jesus? Who are you, God? And then the next question is, okay, who am I in this whole thing? And how do you relate with me? And a lot of times you see who God is by how he relates with people. Actually, most of the time. You get to see who God is and what Jesus is like and how he relates to people when you just read your word. So I challenge you to read your word. Why, Gabriel? Because I really, really, really want to see you come to know who Jesus is because I believe and I'm convinced that if you encounter the real Jesus, you'll never be the same. Your ordinary life will become extraordinary. Extra. Ordinary. Extraordinary. Beyond natural and normal. Because God has a heart that you would live an extraordinary life and stop living your ordinary day-by-day lifestyle. I love this story, man. Jesus shows up. I just wish I could just see a video of this, you know? What was he doing? What was he like? Who was he talking to? You know, the Bible says this is the first miracle recorded that Jesus did. 
So I want to ask that question. Well, then who are you trying to show yourself to us as first? Because his miracles weren't just to do a miracle. His miracle was to bless people for their joy and to reveal who he was. He didn't do a miracle to do a miracle. He did a miracle in a, purpose, in a specific and intentional way that we might know who he is and how he related with us. And so as we read this passage and as we read this story and as we talk about this, this story of Jesus coming to a wedding with ordinary people and turning into wine, we have to ask the question, who are you? Who am I in this whole mix-up? And who am I in this... Who am I in this story? He did all this for a very important reason. Cana. Cana was, a, was just a, a little town, a little village in the region of Galilee. And weddings were normally held, held at homes. So this wedding was held in an ordinary home with ordinary people in an ordinary town called Cana, in an ordinary region called Galilee. Nothing real huge or specific or amazing ever happened necessarily. It wasn't some holy ground necessarily other than it was the land of Israel. But nonetheless, it was just another wedding. It wasn't Jesus' wedding. That's going to happen in heaven. Right? The bride of Christ will marry Jesus. This isn't some... The point is this, is they don't even tell us who the person is that's getting married. They don't even tell us who it is. They just say he's at a wedding. Mary was invited, and so is Jesus and his disciples. Jesus is just there. And he's associating himself with normal, ordinary people. With normal, ordinary people people he's just hanging out and things start going bad not like horrible but things start going bad because they ran out of wine and now some of you might say this is a horrible situation this isn't necessarily like 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 the devil made them run out of wine i mean they just practically ran out of wine something natural happened they just drank (laughs) too much wine they ran out. And Jesus tells these guys to fill up water pots with water, 30 gallons of water. And he turns six water pots of 30 gallons each, transforms it into wine. I'm I'm seeing two things about who God is in this. First, first I'm seeing who he is just in general. And that is, he's a God who associates with ordinary people. He's a God who relates with common folk like you and me. He's a God that desires to walk among normal, ordinary people. Because there's, there's, there's this thing that we've, we've just come to believe, a lie, really. That I'm just ordinary, why would God want to be around me? 
What we see in this passage is that that's exactly who God wants to be around. The first way he reveals himself is not in front of thousands and thousands of people. It's not on a mountain so everybody could see him. It was in a little home with a few families together in a little town called Cana, in a little region called Galilee, at a simple wedding where they were celebrating two people becoming one. And Jesus is there hanging out. I see Jesus as the provider. When they run out, Jesus provides. I see Jesus not just as a provider of spiritual food, but Jesus is the provider of your everyday necessities. Are you hearing me? Jesus is our provider. I also see Jesus as the humble servant. I love that in this passage, Jesus doesn't say, hey, look, here, here, look, see me. Turn this water into wine. The, the passage almost insinuates to us that, that Jesus pulls these servants aside and says, hey, go fill up those six water jars with water. Fill it to the brown. What else? Just do, just do that. Okay. I don't know how they did it. Whatever. Got a hose? No, they didn't have hoses back then. That's when the power washer was invented. That's when the well. No, I don't know. And then, and then it's like he pulled them aside again. It's like, hey, look. Take some of the water. Take some of the stuff inside of there. And go give it to the master. Go give it to the wedding planner guy. Oh, okay. I don't know if it was already wine, but I do know that, that by the time it went from there to his mouth, somewhere there, it, it was wine. Somewhere in there, it just phew, changed. And then, and then the guy drank it. And what happened? The Bible says the guy who drank it and tasted it didn't know who did it. So he looks at the groom and goes, dude, you saved the best wine till now. And only a few people saw what Jesus did. Why? Because Jesus was a humble servant. He didn't really care to be seen. He just wanted to serve and bless his people. You see Jesus as one who associates with humble and low people, ordinary folk, common folk, and who's one who provides and meets our every need. You see Jesus as the very present help in time of need, in time of trouble, in time of hardship. You see Jesus be the one who comes when I have a need, he answers. When I have a need, he gives. When I have a need, he not only has provided it, but he's willing to give it to make sure that my needs are taken care of. He's, he's my provider He's a humble servant. You know, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. You know, our ministry as Christians is just to receive the service of Jesus Christ in our life and then to respond to him and serve him back. You don't serve him to get him to serve you. You serve him because he served you and will continue to serve you to the day you die. Jesus is the humble servant. So that's the first thing I realized about all these things of who he is. Then I realized not only is he, is he humble servant and is he provider and is he a very present help in time of need, but he's a redeemer of the ordinary circumstances and ordinary people into an extraordinary people and extraordinary circumstances. What I see is just a simple, ordinary situation. And when Jesus steps into the mix and when he does the will of the Father, things just get changed up. 
And what used to be ordinary now is not just the same as it used to be with the same type of wine, but he brings out the best wine because he is a God that when is in the mix of human beings and ordinary people takes what is ordinary and makes it extraordinary. See, we, 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 we have this common thought as Christians that God is the redeemer of the broken. Yes, God is the redeemer of the broken. And if you want to read a story about that, you can read that in John uh, chapter 4, the end of the chapter, when then this person is dying, and they're about to die, and Jesus speaks, and the person is healed. Or John chapter 8, great story of, of somebody who was broken, of utter, completely broken and helpless and hopeless. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery, the Bible says. Committing sin, that means that they pulled her out of a tent, naked, committing Adultery, committing sin or sex outside of marriage. They pull her out and they drug her and they said, all right, Jesus, here's this woman caught in the very act. What are you going to do with her? And you know the story. Jesus writes on the ground and says, whoever you among you has no sin, throw the first rock. They all leave. And he goes, where are those who accuse you? She goes, they're not here. He says, I accuse you neither. Go and sin no more. You want to talk about a story of God redeeming what is broken and restoring it to setting a woman free and giving her righteousness in a right place with God and justifying her before God and giving her the ability and the desire to live a godly life. That's a great story for God redeeming what is broken and making it just beautiful, taking ashes and turning it into beauty. But I don't see that in this story necessarily. What I see in this story is an ordinary circumstance and God making it extraordinary. My challenge in my heart tonight is that we are just living ordinary lives and God wants to come into the mix of our ordinary life and make something extraordinary. Yes, he's the, he's the, he's the redeemer of the broken situation, but he's also the redeemer of ordinary because God doesn't just settle with par. He doesn't settle with second rate. He doesn't settle with normal. He doesn't settle with ordinary. He'll associate with ordinary people to make them and to bring them into an extraordinary, God-reigning, ruling, victorious life. So if you're living an ordinary life, I'm telling you, you must not be really following Jesus because if your life is following after Christ, then your life should be extraordinary. There should be water being turned into wine in your life and around people that you know on a daily basis because God desires to redeem ordinary things into extraordinary things and circumstances. As much as he takes a broken, hurting, wounded person and redeems them for his glory, he also takes your normal, ordinary, common, everyday life and he wants to bring extraordinary things into the midst. So that's who Jesus is. He's the redeemer of the ordinary. That's what we see here. He just hangs out with ordinary folk like you and like me. And he wants to redeem your life and make it extraordinary. That's who he is. Now the next question is, who am I? Say, who am I? I want to say, who am I? Where am I? Say, where am I? Where am I? That's the question. There's two, there's two places. First, first, if you're taking notes, you don't have to take notes. But if you are taking notes, and if God's speaking to you, cool. But the first place, the first, first way that I find myself in here is I find myself as the groom. Because I'm married. No. Uh, I find myself as the groom. I find myself as the groom because, because the groom was an ordinary groom. 
in an ordinary town, like Willow, an ordinary town, ordinary home, ordinary wedding, ordinary region. And Jesus gives him the best wine. Jesus gives him the best. He takes his little ordinary life and so much so that the, 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 the wedding master, not a weird term, I'm the wedding master. I'm really good at getting married. I mean, I'm really good at doing weddings. What is, what is the wedding master? But, he, but the wedding master goes, dude, you're ridiculous. And he didn't even do anything. But isn't that how our lives look, you know, as Christians? Wow, that was amazing. Yeah, you know, not totally God, but I'm pretty close. But the truth is, you didn't really do nothing. You just, you just stood there and God says, here's 180 gallons of grace. I can't drink 180 gallons of grace. I know. And just in case, when you're done, just let me know, because I'll just keep giving 100, another 180 gallons of grace. You know that 180 gallons of wine just represents God's provision and blessing and grace. More than enough. There ain't no way they're going to eat, drink all that wine. A couple families got together. 180 gallons. I find myself like, like this guy named Groom. <laughs> Some think it was the Apostle John, Jesus' cousin, but we don't actually know who it actually was. They think it was the guy who wrote this book. But regardless, I find myself in that guy because I was a guy who was just living an ordinary, really a broken life, but just living a common life. And Jesus stepped in and said, here, I'm giving you all this. I'm your provider. I'm your very present help in time of need. I'm going to give you a drink that satisfies your every need. You know what? You know what? I was somebody who was desperately needy and thirsty like every single one of us naturally. And Jesus gave me a drink from his wine from heaven, a drink of his juice, a drink of his life, a drink of his blessing that transformed me internally. Isn't that amazing? God satisfies your every need. He satisfies your every longing. And not only satisfies it, he gives you too much so that you can carry that juice to somebody else. I find myself there. But this is the second place I find myself, and this is the purpose of, in some ways, the the other purpose of my message tonight is to challenge us not only to know who Jesus is, but how to live with this Jesus. You with me? You with me? So I'm going to challenge you now. I'm going to challenge you, and I really believe this is the word for us tonight to really receive and partake of and, and walk in, okay? The second person or the second thing or the second way I find myself in that story is I find myself in the story as the servants. I don't know how many servants there were, maybe two, maybe three, maybe six. I don't know how many servants, but I find myself as one of those servants. Gabriel, why do you find yourself as one of those servants? Because I realize that God wants to do extraordinary things in this planet but he desires to do it through simple people. If you want to be a person who not only receives the grace and blessing and favor of God, but a one who dispenses the grace and blessing and favor of God, you need to be a simple person like one of these servants. You know what I, you know what I see in this passage about these servants? First, they're willing to associate themselves with ordinary people. 
Listen to me now. Listen to me now. This is, I'm, I'm challenging this. This is really important. We think the extraordinary things only happen in here. And that's where you're so wrong. And that's where we're so wrong. Jesus didn't just do his first miracle at a church service. My God, he did it in somebody's house. You want, you want to see God do extraordinary things through you? Then associate yourself with ordinary people. You want to see God do extraordinary things through you? Then just get around ordinary circumstances at your school. Oh, I already am. Okay. Then just get around ordinary circumstances in your family. I, I think I'm already... D- okay. Then just get around ordinary circumstances as you walk into a store, as you walk into a restaurant. Just be... Living among and be willing to not just be in an ordinary circumstance, but engage in ordinary people in an ordinary circumstance. You want to see the extraordinary of God? Engage and relate and associate with ordinary people. But see, you know what we do is we want to stand up in front of everybody and have everybody see us do extraordinary, glorious things. I need to talk to the pastor. Why? I just really feel like if I talk to him, God's going to bless me. That's weird. Do you know God's already blessed you? And you know God wants to do an extraordinary thing through you in your school? Yeah, but I really feel like I need to be up there and I have this word. I got to share it. I just know that God's going to transform everybody. Wow, that's pretty, that's a high thought. Can you, can you just go to an ordinary school? And be available and see if God turns it into an extraordinary school. I already am in an ordinary school. Oh, okay. Can you just go into an ordinary bagel shop? Or an ordinary restaurant? Or, or, maybe, or maybe even better. How about this? How about say hi to an ordinary neighbor? Can I share a testimony real quick? I'm going to share something real quick. It's not, even, it's not even like one of those testimonies where like, wow, that happened. Hats off to you, brother. It, it's, it's just a quick story to encourage us. I, I, was, I was leaving uh, my house today as I was thinking about this passage, and, and it was really weird. I kept feeling the Lord was like, come on, let's go. Get going. You got you to leave this. You got to leave the house. I'm like, Lord, what the heck? I'm like running out with my underwear, you know, just like throwing all my jeans. And, and, uh, and I, <laughs> that's a weird thought. But I, I'm running down the hallway, and, and we live in a condo, many in place, and there's an elevator. And I, and I come to the elevator, and I hear, ding. I'm like, ooh, somebody's in the elevator. And then it, so I push the down button, and it goes, ding, ding, you know. And I almost feel like I could see it. It was weird. And then I, the door's open, and I walk in. The glory of the Lord with me. Shalom, shalom, brother. Blessing, blessing. Hallelujah. Ding. You know. Start singing a song. Oh, Lord, I worship you. Hope this guy hears me worshiping you. Maybe we'll get saved. What? Oh, uh, Gabriel. (laughs) That's my name. Like the angel of the Lord. Gosh. No, I didn't do that. I walk in and, and, and I stand in there and, and the Lord spoke to me very clearly and said, hey, do you see this ordinary person? 
old guy, you know, and he had a dog. Old, the dog, I think, was older than him, but <laughs> this dog was old. You know when dogs get so old, their hair just turns in, like, horse-like hair. It's like, it's like there's some frizz ball. You're like, dang, bro, you need a haircut, man. Like, I just, next time I see one of those dogs, I just want to carry conditioner. I'd be like, just quit conditioner all over and just, bless you. <laughs> old dog. And, I, and I'm, anyway, I'm, I'm standing there with this guy and, and this is probably the slowest elevator in the world. So we'll be here for 15 minutes. My name's Gabriel. You know, like, no, we'll, we're just keep going down and down. And I finally just said, how old's the dog? And I just started carrying on this conversation with this guy. And he's like, oh, 13. And I'm, oh, how long are they supposed to live? Six? It's like one of those little dogs. It's only supposed to live like eight years. So it's like, it like died and came back or something. It's like really old dog. And and, and so I keep talking, and, and then we, we go down, we walk out of the elevator, and, and I almost walked to my car, and I just felt so convicted. And the Lord reminded me of this song. You know that song Gabriel always sings, Show Us Your Glory? I go, yeah, Lord. He goes, I want to show it through ordinary people like this. And I went, oh. But Lord, I'm preaching tonight. And I want to show it through ordinary people like this. So this is the, the one time I ever know very few times I actually am like, Lord, okay, I'm going to obey you. So I just walked over to this guy, and, and I met him. His name is Roger, and he's 88 years old. He's been living in this condominium for since the beginning. <laughs> he, I said, how long have you lived here? He's like, since it began. I'm like, dang. And, but then I, then I realized, he's like, no, no, since like the building was built, it's like, I was like, oh, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I met his name, and, and we just talked, and, and he said that his wife had passed away. I said, hey, where's your wife? He said, well, and he got tears in his eyes. He said, well, my wife passed away. I've seen this guy, you know, probably for the past year and a half many times. I've never said hi to Roger. Didn't even know that was his name. I saw his dog. But, I, but, but while I was among ordinary people, I never asked the extraordinary God to do something extraordinary through me through a simple way, like saying hi and asking for his name. I don't know, you know, maybe people say, well, did he get saved? No, he didn't get saved. I just met his name. I met his dog, realized he was 88, and he looked like nobody had talked to him in three months. But I have a faith. You know what my faith is, my hope is? My faith and my hope is that now that I know Roger, because as he was leaving, he goes, you know what? I might not remember your name, I said, it's okay. Nice meeting you, Roger. And I left, and I remember thinking, you know, I don't know if he will remember my name, but what would happen if I met him again and saw him again and said, hey, Roger, good to meet you. A guy who's living by himself. I have a faith, and I believe that through this ordinary circumstance, God will do something extraordinary if I just keep loving this guy. And I meet this ordinary guy who's just in my house. But Gabriel, I'm going to go to the nations. Really? Go to the nations. go down the hallway or go next door or go down two lockers from you. Can we just be amongst ordinary people and see God do an extraordinary thing? They associate, and the second thing is they do whatever Jesus tells them to do. Mary says, hey, just do what, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Like Nike, she said that. She's like, like Nike, just do it. It's in there. 
It's like Nike, just do it. Gabriel, I want to do extraordinary things. God will do an extraordinary thing through you if you just have a simple mind. If you want to see God do extraordinary things, get yourself engaged in ordinary people and listen to the most amazing, extraordinary God as he tells you what to do. And just do it and watch water be turned into wine. Last week I told you that you were being sent into your school and you were being sent into your family and you were being sent into your workplaces. But don't just go there and just be there. Go there and be engaged in ordinary people. And don't just be engaged with them. Ask the question, God, what do you want me to do with these ordinary people, this ordinary circumstance, in this ordinary class? Speak to me, Lord, and then be willing to do whatever he tells you to do. And watch God do extraordinary things. And it may take time. I don't know how long it took them to fill up those water pots. I don't know how long it took them to carry it over to that guy. But I do know that somewhere in the mix, that water was turned into wine. And that place got turned upside down. I don't know how long it will take the water in your life to be transformed to wine. With your parents, or with your brother, or with your sister, or with your colleague, or with your person that you sit next to in class, your, your friend, your classmate. But if I could be so bold, stop being lazy. And like Billy said, stop being disengaged. And like Cameron said, give it all. Stop being lazy and slothful. Walk aware. Ephesians chapter 5, as we close tonight. And I'd like to have the worship team come up here. Ephesians chapter 5. See then that you walk circumspectly, or see that you walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be wise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Redeem the time. Do you know that God has not created tomorrow yet? Do you know that tomorrow hasn't happened yet? And do you know that you're going to come into an ordinary school, wake up in an ordinary bed, drive an ordinary car, go to an ordinary workplace, and spend time with ordinary people? And do you know that God wants to do something extraordinary through tomorrow? What if God wants to turn water into wine through your life tomorrow at school? or in your family, or at work. What if God, Gabriel, what do I do then? And say hi to somebody. You know what he said? He said, fill up, fill up the water pots. That's my challenge for you tonight. Fill up the water pots. You want to see extraordinary things? Fill up the water pots. Gabriel, what the heck does that mean? Just do simple things. Shake somebody's hand. Meet somebody. Talk to somebody. Listen to somebody. Encourage somebody. Go out of your way. But more than any of that, Listen to what he's saying and do it. You want to see revival? You want to see extraordinary? Do what I'm saying. Do what Jesus is saying. Because I want to see the extraordinary. I want to see what's never been done before. Did you know that nobody had ever turned water into wine before? That's crazy. Never happened. Hasn't happened since. 
What, what if God wants to do something in Anchorage that's never been done before? Did you hear what I said? What if God wants to do something in Anchorage that's never been... What if God wanted to do something in your school that's never been done before? What if God wanted to do something in your family that's never been done before? What if God wanted to do something in your workplace that had never been done before? What if God, well, I know he does because he doesn't settle with par and you're at that school and you're in that family and you're at that workplace for the very purpose of being a servant of God to bring ordinary things and making them extraordinary simply by filling up water pots. Amen. And I really want to see extraordinary things. Anybody else? Come on, I know you do. Anybody else? I know you do. I know you do. We just got to be simple.